MSW Media. is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hey, everybody, it is January 27th, 2021, and welcome to episode two of Clean Up on Aisle 45. This is Andrew Torres, also of the Opening Arguments podcast. And this is A.G., Allison Gill, Dr. Allison Gill, if you're nasty. Uh, and I am of the Muller She Wrote and Daily Beans podcasts. And we are here today to bring you the news of how uh, this administration is cleaning up after the last one. And we've got a barn burner for you today. <laughs> yes, we do. How you doing today? I'm good. It just so everyone knows it's very, very windy here. Uh, and so if you hear any knocking and pinging sort of sounding like engine problems, it's probably things hitting my house. So go ahead and ignore that. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to let you know we're hunkered down. Uh, we've got some really uh, bad weather today. But other than that, I'm doing really, really well. Thank you. How are you? I am fantastic. Nothing is pinging into my house. Um, <laughs> if you if you hear, you know, my corgi Lily go nuts as she tends to always do right in the middle of our recording. But uh, mm. other than that, you know, that's my that's my stray noise warning. But uh, no, I'm I'm super excited. We have a we have a fantastic show. Yeah, we're going to be talking about a couple of major stories in the A and B blocks. And then uh, on the third block today, we'll get to interview David Rothkopf who's written a couple of pieces about what we need to do going forward to restore um, faith in our institutions and to, to hold people accountable and why that is so important uh, in order to move forward. Yeah, he was great. Um, that that <laughs> right in line with everything we have been discussing. But um no, our well. Why don't you why don't you kick us off for our first story, Ag? Yeah, I'll kick us off, and then everybody want you're going to want to hang around for the end of the show too because we've got a new lightning round, <laughs> and uh, I'm so and, good at those. Uh, <laughs> A segment we call Buh Bye, uh, which is all of the former Trump administration officials and borough employees that have been removed, resigned, retired, or unceremoniously fired by the new administration. And I think you'll enjoy it. So I'm going to kick us off with this first big story, what I think is the lead story of the week, and that is the Justice Department's Inspector General. Uh, as we all know, Michael Horowitz has announced Monday that his office is going to investigate whether any former or current department officials have, quote, engaged in an improper attempt to have the department seek to alter the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. Now, the investigation, uh, this I'm quoting here from, from a statement from the Inspector General's office, the investigation will encompass all relevant allegations that may arise that are within the scope of the Office of the Inspector General's jurisdiction. And that is from Horowitz in his statement. He says the OI 
OIG has jurisdiction to investigate all allegations concerning the conduct of former and current Department of Justice employees. The Office of the Inspector General's jurisdiction does not extend to allegations against other government officials. Uh, and hopefully you'll be able to clarify what that means, Andrew. Horowitz's office said it will not comment further on the probe until it is finished, and that is normal for the Office of the Inspector General. Uh, and the Justice Department Inspector General has also begun examining the abrupt departure this month, and I know you covered this on opening arguments, we certainly did on the Daily Beans, of the U.S. Attorney in Atlanta after then-President Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump, complained <laughs> officials in Georgia were not doing enough to find election fraud. And the investigation into the sudden resignation of Byung or B.J. Pack by Inspector General Horowitz appears to be in its early stages. Investigators have not yet talked to Pack, and it's unclear how broad their inquiry will be. That's according to people familiar with the matter. Like others, they spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss the ongoing probe. And that is sort of where we are with <laughs> new inspector general, new inspectors general, well, this one particular inspector general, uh, in investigations that have been lit up under this current administration. Okay. Wow. So um, a lot to talk to talk about on that. I, I, I think what's what's probably most important to keep in mind is that the the sole article of impeachment transmitted by the House of Representatives uh, as we were recording this right Monday, late Monday uh, to the Senate um, with the trial to begin, I, I think, February 8th. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. Yeah. So um, that article of impeachment contains names one person other than Donald Trump by name, and that is Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, somebody that um, I I think the Senate is very likely to be interested in hearing from as a witness. I mean, you know, we're doing some tea leaf reading, but uh, it, it certainly seems like the environment is is quite a bit different now than it was a year ago at this time. Um, so all of these stories, right, are part of the overarching story did the president of the United States attempt to overthrow democracy? Um, I was nervous when I saw that uh, it, it's an existing inspector general uh, un undertaking <laughs> the investigation because, you know, as we know, in, in light of the last impeachment, uh, when Donald Trump felt empowered to literally do anything, he purged. Uh, everybody that he thought of as hostile uh, that sat in a watchdog capacity. So um, Michael Horowitz. <laughs> but he did he did hang on to Horowitz and uh, and Horowitz is and, and a, he kind of had to because Horowitz was the only one who delivered any little bit of bad news about what happened in the Russia investigation. I mean, he cleared McCabe yep. and Comey and everybody and everyone in the FBI of anything political or having any bias. He cleared everyone of saying that the FISA warrant for Carter Page, uh, you know, there were 17 errors, which he pointed out, which is what Trump glommed onto and probably why he couldn't fire him. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, he he is a holdover from from that uh, from that administration. Yeah, no, that that that's right. And I think that I think that you're exactly right on why Horowitz sort of escaped the firing squad. As far as I can tell, he's a moderate to liberal Republican career prosecutor, right? Named inspector general by Obama in 2012. But, you know, mm -hmm. history of bipartisan, right? Like clerked for a Reagan appointed judge. And he's a straight shooter. He's a straight he, shooter. He, he seems to be right. Uh, and 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 more so, you know, sort of <laughs> not, not just uh, uh, 
you know, my my worst call of my entire professional career was saying, well, Bill Barr seems to be a pretty conservative Republican, uh, but he does seem to be an institutionalist and not a Trump hack. Um, that that's one it's going to take me a while to live down. <laughs> he kind of he kind of strikes me as a Jeffrey Rosen type, right? Like a uh, career guy wouldn't do Trump's bidding uh, and refuse to allow Jeffrey Clark to take his place, yeah. which is what that first inspector general investigation I was telling you about is about. Mm -hmm. um, also, and you're right, it does. There are through lines to the impeachment. Very interesting. We learned today that Chief Justice John Roberts will not be presiding over this impeachment. Uh, Senator Patrick Leahy will be the, the presiding uh, judge, so to speak, over this particular impeachment. And I thought that was an interesting move because it seems political uh and i'm wondering what the thinking behind that was unless unless john roberts was just like i'm not doing it and i don't have to <laughs> i it i don't know i mean it 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 is required i mean we, we have very little precedent on what constitutes an impeachment and and uh most of the procedures that we follow today you know the 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 robes with the little golden circles on it were just invented by william rehnquist during the clinton impeachment right and we only have one i believe which is uh the william guy uh that was impeached after he left his office the war the uh, secretary do you know I, who I, i'm talking I about do. Something... I, I can't i can't recall the name off the top of my head it I, I have it. I have it. Hold, let me let me get it, because it, it's important to note that there is precedent for this, because we know the Republicans are going to be uh, arguing that you can't and shouldn't impeach someone who's already been removed from office. And that you know, and then and they're already arguing against not having uh, the Supreme Court uh, justice, chief justice preside over it. So it's it's going to be interesting. But uh, it's William Belknap yes, is the fella's yes, name. Yeah. Um, and so we do have precedent for it. Uh, and we have multiple instances of precedent for people being impeached after they left office. Yeah, that's right. And remember that the, the key issue, the reason why you want to impeach after someone has left office is the ultimate sanctioning power of being proscribed from holding any office of, trof of, of profit or trust under the United States. And there have been a dozen or so Article Three judges that have been not just impeached and removed, but uh, sanctioned and, and for forbidden from serving ever again. Because otherwise you just blow up a whole... A balance of power thing by saying because then a president can go on a crime spree and then just resign before he's impeached and convicted and uh, disallowed to hold office again. So they, they you can't do it. It's kind of like that's why there's a 30 day return policy and <laughs> why some places say we'll also give you the difference if this item goes on sale within 30 days, because otherwise you would just return it and repurchase it for the lower price. And that's kind of what's going on here. I, I, I love that analogy. I was thinking running out the clock, right? Like we learned today uh, that the Supreme Court, this is no surprise, but that the Supreme Court uh, is going to dismiss as moot has dismissed as moot uh, with orders to vacate the lower decisions in all of the remaining emoluments cases. There's one kind I know some of the lawyers listening are going to be like, what about the Fourth Circuit? Right. It, it, this has been telegraphed since before the election. Right. It, it was clear that the president was going to be able to run out the clock on the emoluments clause litigation. And keep in mind, crew, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, uh, they filed their lawsuit in 
February of 2017, right? Like, I mean, uh-huh. it was. I, it's hard to imagine uh, having been more on top of, oh, this guy is using the powers of his office to enrich himself. And run out the clock. And, yep. and and I will say, it is a proper dismissal of these emoluments cases. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. That, it, I'm glad you pointed that uh, out. Yeah. It, it, it sucks. Uh, but, you know, you, uh, to, to, it would be disingenuous to come out and say that the Supreme Court should not have made this decision based on the way that the lawsuit was filed and the, what the def- definition of emoluments is. It is moot. It is legally moot. And, and the... The vacating the lower court decisions is a super cool legal edge case called the Munsingware Doctrine, uh, which I did on opening arguments a couple of years ago. But uh, it involved uh, underwear during World War Two. It's super fun. Um, yeah. And, uh, and and again, it's the right result, even if, you know, I like <laughs> we, we would all like to see Donald Trump have to give the money back. Um, he's he's not going to have to give the money back. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it that it it's important. I don't want to lose lose track of your original point, which is when Uncle Frank says, well, you know, he's not even president anymore. Yeah, but people like you would like him to be president again. So let's litigate that out. Right. Otherwise, what are you worried about? Yeah, 100%. Uh, and we're going to be right back here in just a moment um, and because we have another um, lead story for this week. We have two stories tied for the lead this week that uh, Andrew's going to go over the second story. So everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Clean Up on L45 is brought to you by BetterHelp. They provide professional counseling to help you navigate life's challenges. We all face difficulties and stresses in life, but the important thing to remember is you don't have to face them alone. So if you're struggling with anything that's preventing you from living your best life, I recommend BetterHelp. It's not a crisis line or self-help. It's professional licensed therapy done securely online. They'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in less than 24 hours. I've had my own struggles with PTS and anxiety, and I know how important it is to seek help rather than to try to take it on alone. And BetterHelp services are available for clients worldwide, and they have a broad range of experts in their counselor network, a lot of which might not be physically lo- locally available in your area. But with, you know, with BetterHelp, you can log on anywhere, anytime, and send a message to your counselor. And you'll get timely and thoughtful responses, and you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And they're committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change your counselor if you need to. It's also more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aids available. So visit their website, read some testimonials like BetterHelp user CA, who says... Stephanie is excellent at her job and so easy to share with. Uh, I had just started counseling earlier. I'm looking forward to all the growth uh, I'll have from working with her for the next few months. So visit BetterHelp.com slash aisle 45. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Clean Up on Aisle 45 listeners. Get 10% off your first month. Just go to BetterHelp.com slash aisle 45, A-I-S-L-E 45. All right. Welcome back to Clean Up on Aisle 45. Um, If you're like me, you've been tracking all of the arguments, both good and bad, (laughs) against Donald Trump's pardons, all of which were pretty much bad, right? (laughs) So we, we just took apart on opening arguments yesterday, actually, the terrible... Uh, and not true argument that there's this one weird trick where Biden can reverse some of the pardons and it has to do with the Ulysses Grant case from 1868. No, it doesn't. No, there isn't. No, you can't do that. Okay, I, I know we would like to. 
Um, and I know, I, you know, there are 70 different scumbags and hardcore criminals, people that Donald Trump has pardoned for the sole purpose of enabling them to crime again. Right. Like that, that that's really the key story underneath all of this. Almost all of the people who were pardoned by Donald Trump on his last day in office had already completed their sentences. Right. This was about expunging the felony conviction so they can go back to running hedge funds and selling real estate and, you know, committing crimes against the American public. So it is with that level of trepidation that I approached an article in Just Security, right, uh, called The Gaps in Trump's Pardons. The way these pardons are written, it looks like the Biden administration is still going to be able to go after villains like Paul Manafort. Um, seems too good to be true, right? Well, I, I, I'm here to tell you it, it, it's not too good to be true. Woohoo! I win! I am the winner! <laughs> I, I love it. This is this is great. Um, let's start with... Um, the fact that the president can issue an absolute pardon, right? An, a pardon for any and all offenses uh, and doesn't have to identify them uh, by particular offense. They don't have to be indicted. <laughs> but when you start to try, <laughs> when you start to try and you have somebody like Cipollone or, I don't know, Jenna Ellis or Sidney Powell write this shit out for you, it, you could you could shoot yourself in the foot. And this is my favorite, favorite part about this, uh, because he could have uh, done this right had he consulted some pardon attorneys in the Department of Justice who might have, you know, said, well, I wouldn't do this if I were you. But if you were gonna, here's how you should word it. Uh, and he, you know, he's 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 too smart for everyone. Right. And here we are. I And and, and I also think there. I <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the explanation is for Donald Trump not pardoning himself and his family, right? I, I, it, whoever, whoever had that kind of leverage <laughs> against Trump uh, is is I think the you know the biggest story of of the past five years, um, and this may be related to that, right? Like it may be that um, he was afraid to issue. Uh, pardons that modeled other historical pardons, right? So you think about in terms of leaving, you know, dotting all your I's and crossing all your T's, when when Gerald Ford pardoned Richard Nixon, right? He said, uh, I hereby do grant a full, free, and absolute pardon under Richard Nixon for all offenses against the United States, which he has committed or may have committed or taken part in during the period from January 20th, 1969, that was Inauguration Day, through August 9th, 1974, that's the day he resigned and crawled out of the White House in disgrace. Y you can say that, right? Mm -hmm. um, you can also pardon people you don't know. Right. Yeah. You can blanket pardon all the insurrectionists, anybody who was involved in storming the Capitol. I was uh, terrified that we were going to see that. I was um, terrified. I was terrified of that, too. And, we, and yeah. he did not. Somebody either talked him out of this or he, was, he, was, he thought he knew better. But what are some examples of gaps in pardons that we're looking at here? Like, uh, give, can, do you have an example of, of the wording of the pardon and, and how you could slip in a prosecution? Yeah. So, for example, um, l let's go back not uh, to... Trump's last day in office, but uh, but to December uh, when Trump pardoned Paul Manafort. Right. It says I grant to Paul J. Manafort Jr. a full and unconditional pardon. OK, so far, so good. If you're rooting for the for the bad team. Right. 
And then it says, but that pardon is, quote, for his conviction in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia on a superseding indictment, listing the docket number, right, for which he was sentenced, right, to 47 months imprisonment, three years supervised release, a $50,000 fine, $25.5 million in restitution, and an $800 special assessment, right, comma, and in the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, right, that was the Judge Jackson case. Uh, yeah, because he had two ankle bracelets. Right, right. right. Um, uh, <laughs> they matched. Uh, on a uh, superseding information, charging him with violations uh, of various sections of uh, Title 18, uh, for which he was sentenced to 73 months imprisonment, 36 months supervised release, concurrent, $6 million in restitution, a $200 special assessment, and forfeiture of $11 million bucks. And then that's it, right? And then it says, I, I hereby direct the pardon attorney to uh, sign the grant of clemency and, and declare that her action is by the president and, uh, and being taken by me. Now, you and I, <laughs> you and I have talked about, uh, ever since I read Andrew Weissman's book, uh, and because uh, we, we always wondered why he wasn't charged with conspiracy against the United States in that whole collusion, uh, which is not a term of art uh, as a federal crime. And the only reason he was not charged was because of the open and shut nature of all of the other things that they got him on. So this new Department of Justice could file that charge because it is not specifically listed in the pardon. Do I have that yeah, right? You have that right. There is there's one more wrinkle with respect to it, and that is in the D.C. case, you may recall the multiple hearings uh, after which uh, it, in which uh, Paul Manafort, uh, under the condition of his plea agreement, was required to fully and truthfully cooperate with the Mueller uh, investigation and with uh, the uh, the U.S. attorney's office. And there is a judicial determination that he breached that agreement. Yeah, he blew it up. Yeah. Yep. And so what that means is anything that was related, that was listed in that information is fair game. A lot of which we might know yeah. about. A lot of which we might not even know it, about. It, ab absolutely. So, you know, it, it, it is... It is worth reiterating, I, and, and, I, and I can't believe I have to do this, that the the investigation into Paul Manafort was, this was somebody who took uh, C-tier U.S. political expertise, uh, went to America's ally, Ukraine, and helped elect a pro-Russian stooge then took the tens of millions of dollars he earned electing a pro-Russian stooge as president of Ukraine. Yanukovych, yeah, 60 million. Uh -huh. and, 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 and hid them in offshore accounts in order to evade paying taxes. Yanukovych then uh, abdicated, fled Ukraine, which precipitated the crisis that led to the Russian invasion of Crimea, which they still occupy today, right? 8% of Ukraine is occupied by Russia. Um and and Paul Manafort, like he's not, a, you know, Vladimir Putin has something to do with it, right? Like M Manafort's not a hundred percent responsible, but he's not zero percent responsible. He <laughs> he he earned tens of millions of dollars undermining the the national interest of the United States in a in a bipartisan way, right? Like like remember uh, the the Democrats were latecomers to uh, you know the need to partner with Ukraine. We've still got, you and I have, have talked back and forth about, you know, Obama's regret of his, uh, you know, joking debate comment versus uh, Mitt Romney of saying, you know, the, the 1980s called and they want their foreign policy back. Like I, I laughed at that. You laughed at that. Mitt Romney lost, but uh, like 
that was a mistake. And and mm-hmm. and yeah. and yeah. Manafort is on the highest order of scumbags, just like even if you don't care about his connection to President Trump. And then when you realize that, you know, he was also sharing campaign polling data with Russian intelligence operatives, like maybe just maybe somebody like that should be in prison. And Mm. guess what? Like he still can be. Mm hmm. Yeah. And three of those four states uh, of which polling data he shared <sighs> were the three where uh, where Trump was able to clinch the presidency by just a mere 88,000 votes. So, yeah, we could see a lot of really interesting things going forward here. Again, it's all going to have to do with decisions by the new attorney general and what sort of appetite this Justice mm-hmm. Department has for going after these old crimes. But they're still within the statute of limitations, are they not? Oh, yeah. And 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 uh, can I talk to you a little bit about Steve Bannon's because it's yeah. it's not quite as clear right yeah this is Steve Bannon right tell me about Steve <laughs> so now now I think he I mean he was indicted recently and arrested by the post office <laughs> uh, for uh you know uh defrauding wire fraud mail fraud defrauding Trump supporters to get them to send him monies because he's gonna build his own goddamn wall if a you know, if, if if he had his way and then he spent and he and his uh, four co-defendants spent that money on personal stuff, which is illegal so that he was indicted on that charge. But what does the pardon say? Yeah. OK, so the pardon here, this is kind of a hybrid as compared to the Manafort pardon, right? Manafort pardon was specifically for the offenses charged on those two indictments. Bannon's it is a little broader, but but still <laughs> entirely wide open. So uh, it is in connection with that post office arrest, right? For offense for offenses that were ultimately charged in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York, right? Uh, on docket twenty cr four twelve, right? And then for any other offenses, right? Under Title 18, Chapter 95 of the U.S. Code that might arise or be charged in connection with those offenses in the above listed indictment in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York or any other federal jurisdiction. Right. So in other words, it is only in connection with the case for which he was arrested. Right. And any crimes that might flow from that. Right. So so in other words, the loophole that we discussed with Manafort uh, would not apply to Bannon. Everything relating to him defrauding Trumpsters, he's fine and free to go. But what about everything he did? Everything else. That's right. And 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 I cannot I, I just because I'm assuming he had an agreement with with Mueller because, I mean, he told him everything pretty much. And uh, and I, maybe they agreed not to charge him for his cooperation. I don't remember seeing a cooperation agreement, but that doesn't mean one doesn't exist. Uh, but if you, you know, none of that's there. They could decide if there was a cooperation agreement to turn around and charge him for these things. Uh, couldn't they? Or, yeah. or would they be then in breach of any cooperation agreement? No, no, they 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 they, they would not. Right. In because. Well, all right, let let me let me say the one area in which they might be and that is if there is an explicit non-prosecution agreement uh signed by and between 
uh, Mueller, anyone on his team or anyone in the Department of Justice and Steve Bannon that says in exchange for X, we agree not to prosecute you. And that information lists everything. That's the one way in which we would have kind of a get out of jail free. Um, That will be in the supplemental Mueller materials that Joe Biden's DOJ, you know, Joe Biden can declassify and Joe Biden's DOJ can release. Um, yeah, because like I said, we don't we knew Manafort had a cooperation yeah. agreement, but yeah. uh, I never heard about one for Bannon. I feel like if there was one, we would have gotten that reporting. We, we yeah, I think we we would have spelunked that. You would have spelunked that, certainly. So, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So so l- l- let me let me be clear. <laughs> the those other offenses under Chapter 95 of Title 18, I just realized that I spoke in kind of a lawyer's code there. Um, chapter 95 of Title 18 uh, of the U.S. Code, that's racketeering. That's RICO, right? So it, it, in other words, he's only being, right, it must be a RICO-related offense, right, connected to the scheme to defraud Trumpster. So, yeah, this is a really, <laughs> really narrow pardon. And I cannot for the life of me figure out why. Like once once you've taken the hit. The only thing I can think of, the only thing I can think of is that he tricked him. Like he's like, no, I'll keep my word and then gave him shit ass pardons. And then, uh, I, you know, it's either incompetence or it's total throwing them under the bus. Well, the Manafort, my supposition when this came out was that by naming the particular offenses and the amount of restitution that he could set up Paul Manafort to go petition the U.S. government to try and get the money back. Right. Um, and and while the law is pretty clear the other way like it's not a slam dunk right and so ah, right so it, kind of just hoping yeah. it gives him a it gives him a key to get his money back uh and that that either the, the justice department won't have the appetite or won't have the evidence to to prosecute on the other stuff exactly right and so so i got uh the the manafort part but I do not get why Steve Bannon was sort of hung out to dry. Uh, I I mean, it seems to me to be a pretty good roadmap of like, all right, I, do not charge him on X. Uh, could could we charge him on Y? Do not charge him on X. <laughs> like, I, yeah, and I haven't seen any uh, reporting on any um, anyone from either party commenting on why these narrow these narrow these pardons are so narrow i haven't i haven't seen anything on that nobody's commented on it i don't either and and again i i think that you know this is really like the the rubicon for the show right And, and that is is uh is joe biden with all of his talk of unity but also all of his talk of accountability willing to pull the trigger and say you know what this is not just Democrats can't get over the Russia thing. And oh, God, the bad faith actors will be, you know, the Glenn Greenwalds and, you know, garbage monsters uh, <laughs> will be out in force. Uh, but it, it, it's not. Yeah, or, about... or, or does Merrick Garland? Yeah. It... You know, or, or will Merrick Garland? Because Joe Biden has promised to stay out of yep. it. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. And and you know, well, we're going to talk about that a little bit in our interview, so I won't, I won't, uh, <laughs> I won't spoil that. But I, look, I, I don't yeah. think it's a done deal either way. And I think, as you always point out, right, it's up to us. Mm. Yeah, you're totally right. 
Uh, and speaking of that interview uh, with David Rothkopf, we will be right back. We're going to talk to him. Uh, and you don't want to miss it. It's a really, really good interview. So stick around. Hey, Clean Up on L45 listeners. This is AG, and today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by American Giant. Did you know back in the 60s, 95% of our clothing was made in the United States? Today, it's only 3%. Most of the stuff we buy now is made overseas. It kind of feels disposable, it's poorly made, and that's why right now it's the perfect time to buy clothes made here in the United States. And at American Giant, they want to make things better by making better things. American Giant has built a 100% USA-based supply chain, and they have a strong relationship to factories, workers, and communities at every step of the way. It's not the cheapest, but it makes a better sweatshirt and it's better for the people and better for our planet. American Giant makes clothing that's durable, not disposable. It's built to last. The American tradition of making high quality clothes, clothes that are not meant to be used and thrown away. And and that, you know, therefore you need less. It doesn't end up in the landfills. And I recently got their women's blizzard full zip with a weatherproof nylon shell for warmth. It was so nice yesterday because it was so cold and windy. It kept me warm. And uh, it's very snuggly, very comfortable, really well made. And it was manufactured here in the United States. So they supporting local communities. Check out American Giant and get the best, most high quality clothes on the market. And you get 15% off your first order when you use promo code DAILYBEANS at American-Giant.com. That's 15% off when you use code DAILYBEANS at American-Giant.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, We have a very special guest today Uh, on Twitter. The bio reads here, proud father, husband, CEO, TRG, host of Deep State Radio, and the author of the new book, Trader, also a contributing columnist to the Daily Beast USA Today. Uh, Please welcome David Rothkopf. David, hi. Hi. Good to see you. And uh, these are um, some really great articles, one that came out over the weekend and, and the USA Today piece that just came out this morning. I guess it's still technically over the weekend is pre-football. So I wanted to talk a bit about your opening line here in the USA Today piece that you penned, uh, where you say that the most abused word in 2021, hands down, has to be the word unity. Can we talk a little bit about that? Well, sure. I mean, Joe Biden ran on unity as a theme. He certainly emphasized unity uh, in his uh, inaugural address. But even before the inaugural address, uh, shortly after January 6th and the insurrection, the coup attempt on Capitol Hill, you had Republicans uh, trying to defend themselves against being held accountable for this by saying that it would be divisive. Uh, they would. They later said that impeaching the president would be divisive. It would be contrary to Joe Biden's um, goal of uh, of of unity. Um, and and we've 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 seen that since with, um, you know, somehow Republicans arguing that, you know, keeping the filibuster promotes bipartisanship, which <laughs> helps us towards unity, although the filibuster has been used exclusively for obstructionist reasons for the past 30 years. Um, and so, you know, it's it's incredibly cynical um, and, uh, you know, it's going to force. Biden and the Democrats to sort of come to grips with the reality that these guys are not changing their stripes. They're not going to play fair. They're going to continue with scorched earth politics. Um, And unity is going to be have to be something we shoot for and we try to produce policies that promote. 
uh, and not something that we're going to get out of the GOP on the Hill. Well, David, you make a really forceful case in the USA Today article for removing the filibuster. And I want to drill down on that a little bit. Um, are are you hearing, is, is there momentum towards that position in terms of uh, the the Senate rules, the, you know, attempted kind of craft a compromise uh, between Majority Leader Schumer and, and Mitch McConnell. What, what, what are you hearing in terms of uh, what we're looking at? Well, I mean, you know, first of all, you know, you've had the negotiation going on between Schumer and uh, McConnell and McConnell came in and said, essentially, uh, you got to take the filibuster off the table for us to have conversation. And Schumer said no. And uh, that doesn't mean that he's willing to embrace getting rid of the filibuster, but he does recognize that keeping that as an option gives him leverage. Whereas if he gave that up at the beginning, it would be a big, big mistake. Now, will he go the next step? I think we're closer to them going the next step than we have been at any time in the past four or five years. Because what happened was the Democrats realized that the Republicans got rid of the filibuster to advance their judicial agenda without any hesitation. They just want to keep the filibuster to stop the Democrats' agenda. And so it's it's cynical. And then, you know, the Republicans who say, well, you know, the filibuster, you know, Susan Collins, that great institutionalist. Right, allow Susan me Collins, to furrow my brow. Hold on. <laughs> you know, furrow your brow, uh, show your concern. But Susan, Susan Collins said, well, you know, this is an anti-institutional point of view. Well, filibuster didn't exist until the middle of the 19th century. It was hardly ever used uh, in, in, in uh, prior, to, you know, in the 1950s, it was used once a year. Um, it only started picking up in the 1990s and the 2000s when it started being used regularly by Republicans, occasionally by Democrats, as an obstructionary tool. And, uh, you know, it's time to get rid of it. We don't have filibuster in the House. Uh, it's anti-democratic. Uh, it gives the minority essentially a veto. Uh, and the minority in the Senate already has this ridiculous advantage because, you know, the 50 Democratic senators represent 41 million more people than the 50 Republican senators. Right. <laughs> and. And that's my question for you, David, because I am 100 percent for getting rid of an obstructionist filibuster. Uh, I think we have other tools like budget reconciliation, for example, for the America Rescue Package, the America Rescue Act. But my concern is, is that we have we're already coming from behind as Democrats. If we if you know, we talk about us being the Democrats. So I'm thinking let's get our voting house in order and let's make the actual let's make the voters have actual representation in the Senate before we maybe go down that road. Uh, but also, is going nuclear, they make it sound like there's no way back from there. Like once you do it, it's done forever and you can't change that. Is that true? Well, of course not, because the rules can change any time. The, the rules on the filibuster have changed many times. Um, and would it be better if the Democrats could do it when they had a few more seats and a little more security? Sure. It may not even be possible to do it until they do, because one Democrat, at least, Joe Manchin, who is a Democrat in name only? I guess he's a, a Dino, a Dino. Um, you know, Joe Manchin uh, has said that he's opposed to it, uh, and you know, you you need to get to fifty-one to change the rules anyway. Now, having said that, um, 
there was a good good piece by uh, Ezra Klein in the New York Times looking ahead to when that might happen, 2022. And he made the really good point that if you don't pass the Democrats' agenda, you know, it's going to be hard enough to win in a midterm election to begin with. Yeah, we rarely ever do. We, it, 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 if history is any indication, 2022 will probably give some seats back on, on both in both houses. Right, which would give control potentially back of both houses. And, and at that point, you know, Biden, is his goose is cooked because you know how McConnell and you know how McCarthy are going to play this. And they're going to say, we're not giving him anything. You're not going to have any more judges. You're not going to have any more people approved. Everything's going to be executive order. You're not even going to have this weak tool of reconciliation, which you can only use for budget things. Um, and so, you know, uh, you know, I, I guess there's an argument to be made if you can get Manchin across the line. There's an argument to be made for D.C. statehood as well. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying is, but you're not going to get to D.C. statehood unless you change this rule. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not going to get to Puerto right, you Rico can't, statehood. You can't budget reconcile your way into D.C. statehood. <laughs> right, right. And, and I think that's the most important thing. The Republicans are trying to cheat. It's not, you know, an aspersion that I'm guessing. It's central to their policy. Voter <laughs> obstruction is, is, you know, a block, you know, is part of part of what they're about. Uh, gaining an unfair advantage for red states is what they're about. Well, you know, you, you're not going to you're not going to change election laws. You're not going to fight voter suppression and you're not going to change the number of states unless you change filibuster. Got it. Um, and now, you know, this this show is called Clean Up on Aisle 45. And I, I want to move on to your Daily Beast article. Uh, where you talk about the very first step in 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 unity, the most abused word in 2021, is that we have to hold to account uh, the criminals of, of this past administration. And I want to know what you think about how we're going to do that, especially in light of the new announcement that we just got over the weekend that the FBI and Department of Justice are saying that they're not going to arrest all of the insurrectionists. Well, you know, I, I find that very dispiriting news. You know, the, the notion that there are, you know, going to be hundreds of people walking around saying, I um, uh, attacked the United States Capitol with the objective of undermining American democracy, and there were no consequences, is going to send a very powerful message inside of uh, um uh, right-wing extremist circles. And I, I think it's going to send a message that they feel like they have allies within the FBI, that they have allies within law enforcement, and that they're going to be able to get away with this stuff. Now, if somebody came to me with a grand bargain and said, I'm going to hold Trump accountable, I'm going to hold the Trump campaign accountable, I'm going to hold Cruz and Hawley and... Um, uh, Bobert and Gosar and all these, yeah. and yeah, and right, and 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 those characters um, accountable. But I'd say, okay, let's you know, let's ensure that the organizers and the insiders are held accountable, and we'll let the foot soldiers off. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen. And so, you know, I, I think the the reality is that we're going to have had the first coup attempt in the United States. Uh, the only such attempt led by a president, um, uh, the worst effort by uh, an organized political entity to undermine democracy in America in our history. And I think it's, it's, it's going to be essentially 
very unsatisfying conclusion. And I think most of the people are going to walk away unpunished. But and Andrew, isn't this still sort of technically Trump's Department of Justice until we confirm Merrick Garland? And, and could things be reversed? Could this decision not to prosecute everyone or, or, or hold people accountable? And we know, of course, uh, the Department of Justice has said, you know, they're not looking at, or I think it was actually the U.S. attorney in, in D.C. has said, uh, who's Michael Sherwin, who's, you know, famously uh, part of the uh, commutation of Roger Stone, has said, we're, you know, we're not going to look into the uh, into, you know, going after the president. But once maybe that U.S. attorney is replaced or we have Merrick Garland, could those things change? Or, or once once a decision, I guess my question is, once a decision to not prosecute is made, can it be can it be reversed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have no. Right. D- double jeopardy or other uh, or, or other considerations uh, a dis- in, in the absence of a formal agreement, like a deferred prosecution agreement or a, or a signed non-prosecution agreement. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I certainly I shared uh, David's perspective that, um, you know, this was an incredibly disheartening uh, an announcement. And, you know, I would look for an attorney general Merrick Garland to maybe uh, set a different tone from the top down because, uh, you know, D- D- David, I think, you know, you, you've really forcefully made your points in, you know, what, what, what might be considered prisoner's dilemma terms, right? Like the, the Republican practices are not going to change no matter what you do. So why try and incentivize them to change at your own peril? And I think, no one knows that better than Merrick Garland, right? I don't know what your view is on that. Well, he may know it better, but you know he's also <laughs> um, a judge by temperament. He's a very, very um, uh, uh, small C conservative guy in terms of how he approaches the law. That's a good thing. It's why he's a good choice for Attorney General. He will not. No one will be able to accuse Merrick Garland of 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 being political oh they will <laughs> yeah well yes you're, you're absolutely you're we, absolutely we said right. the same thing about robert Mueller, remember <laughs> yeah well yeah well and i have to say we were disappointed also by his, his angry cadre of democrats yeah but well but but the but the point is he's the right kind of guy for this but i have a feeling you know if you go into the inner circle of the democratic party in the white house on the hill and within even Democrats that are ending up in the Justice Department, they're going to lean away from harsh justice on this stuff. Why? Because I think they think it's a distraction that will inflame the Republican base, that will give Trump more airtime, um, and they want to advance their agenda because they think that if they can advance their political agenda, they will be able to persuade the red state people who benefit from that agenda to move across the line. I, I, I'm not optimistic that's correct. Yeah. Neither well, am I. When, when Merrick Garland delivered his comments upon his nomination, he did specifically mention the attack on the Capitol, and that gives me a little bit of hope as far as holding uh, folks accountable. But, you know, that's it's all a speculation game at this point based on what we know of the man. Uh, and we will see what happens going forward. Will you will you come back and join us, David, when we have a little clearer picture of what uh, Merrick Garland may or may not do? Uh, absolutely, of course. But I'm from Washington, and I'm happy to comment on things even when I have no idea of what's going to happen. <laughs> Well, we certainly appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for coming on Clean Up on Aisle 45. Tell everyone where they can find you and where they can find your book. Uh, well, they can find the book wherever 
you know, books are, are sold or bought and they can find me at Twitter at DJ Rothkoff for uh, deep state radio, our podcast. And you go look for that wherever you get uh, podcasts. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thanks. Appreciate your time today. Appreciate that being invited. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and I want to tell you about the Stereo app. You know, Andrew Torres and I, every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, hop on the Stereo app and have discussions, live interaction on this platform called Stereo. It's so awesome. We talk back and forth to each other. We have our little icons, and you can record questions and submit them, and we'll play them uh, on the air right there on the platform while we're broadcasting and answer your questions live. It's really fun. It's interactive, and I absolutely enjoy it, and it's a little more irreverent you know it's not as put together or polished and it's just sort of a kind of a cool casual hangout we do it every tuesday at 5 p.m just download the free stereo app and get started it's so much fun follow us at uh, i think he's andrew torres and i'm allison gill two l's and allison two l's and gill and you can catch us every tuesday at five pacific eight eastern and stick around after the end of this show as soon as the credits are done rolling you can hear a little clip from last week's stereo show i appreciate it And we thank Stereo for supporting the podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back. It is time for Clean Up on Aisle 45's lightning round. (laughs) All right, so this is going to be the part of the show where you and I go back and forth with some of the headlines, maybe talk for a second or two about them. Uh, But there's so much news. There's so much cleanup going on. It's impossible to fit in, in, in all in one show. So we've devised the lightning round. I will kick us off that Rudy Giuliani is being sued for defamation by Dominion. That's the voting machine manufacturer for one point three billion with a B <laughs> dollars. And this, I think, is kind of going to be an open and shut case, much like the other Dominion lawsuit uh, that has been filed. It is straight up defamation. And I think it'll at least go to discovery which should be extremely interesting i i agree with that i think the one billion dollars is uh is kind of hilarious um and 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 i think intentionally so so look um defamation it is defamation per se to accuse someone of committing a crime right and saying you dominion as a company uh, engineered your voting machines to steal the election is uh, uh fits that fits that definition to a T. So the only real questions are going to be um, uh, if if that allegation is true or not, which it isn't, hint. Um, uh, but but also then you have to trace back, even in, in, in defamation per se, like what that means is you don't have to prove you were harmed by the statement, right? There's some things that the court will just presume like, Oh yeah. If you prove somebody falsely accused you of committing a crime, uh, that's definitely, you don't have to prove to us that, that you suffered as a result of that. We, we take that as given, but the question is, what does a company get in damages for having done so? And there are a couple of different ways in which we measure damages and defamation, right? One of them is presumed damages, right? And that is just um, when people say bad things about your rep, you're probably entitled to some money. That's not going to be a high dollar value for Dominion. One is punitive damages. That will be very interesting. A court's threshold for punitive damages is usually very, very high. But the conduct here is unbelievably egregious. And the way that Dominion has pled the suit is really, really smart. The the center, it's 107 pages long, but the argument basically boils down to Rudy Giuliani 
is running around in public saying we committed fraud. But when he gets into court, he does not say that because he knows that's a fucking lie. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. um, and and you can they can also take the evidence of looking at how Fox News and uh, Newsmax responded to letters (laughs) of a threatening lawsuit. They immediately complied with everything that Dominion wanted to do. And and Rudy just doesn't seem to want to do it. So (laughs) we will be on top of this lawsuit. We will tell you about discovery and we will follow it as it goes along because it's going to be a it's going to be a fun one. Their sole damage. I got to do their sole damages are in paragraph 126. They've spent five hundred and sixty five thousand dollars on private security which i believe right like if you look at right wing monster sphere like people are out for blood mm-hmm. and uh you well, know well they have transcripts of voicemails that are left like yep. we will effing kill you you are effing dead we yep. will hang you we know who you are we will find you uh, that guy showed up with an ar-15 at comet ping pong demanding to see the non-existent basement so yeah they, they're definitely gonna get their money back on their private security they may not get you know, a million billion dollars, but uh, I sure hope they do. So mm, aim high. <laughs> All right. And uh, next lightning round story. Uh, just today, we learned that uh, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, refused to agree to Mitch McConnell's proposed power sharing arrangement uh, in the Senate uh, because McConnell wanted a, wanted that conditioned uh, in writing on the Democrats not uh, blowing up the filibuster and I you know and 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 Schumer said let's look back at the 2001 power sharing arrangement it was a bare bones skeletal arrangement it by definition said left a lot of issues unresolved and you know what issue we're leaving unresolved whether we're going to continue to commit to the filibuster mm-hmm. yeah but here's the problem right we don't have 51 votes on the democrat side the democratic side to change the rules or to do a mini nuke where you would just nuke this particular filibuster on the power sharing agreement or a maxi nuke which is you know to nuke the filibuster altogether mansion uh, and cinema have said they will not vote for the filibuster and mansion has taken it a step further saying he will not vote on anything that would at all threaten the filibuster so we would have to get a couple of Republicans to come on board to go this route. So we're sort of at this weird stalemate, and I'm waiting to see how this resolves. Yeah, I I agree with you, uh, uh, but, but I would point out a couple of different things. Number one, um, Joe Manchin has a history of what, what I think is very good on our side and uh, very frustrating when you see it on the uh, Republican side, <coughs> Susan Collins, uh, of saying things that play well with his constituents back home. Uh, but when it comes time to casting the votes, um, being able to vote when uh, when it when it actually does make a difference. Uh, Kirsten Cinema, I'm I have always been more skeptical of. Um, I, I, there's nothing wrong with being ambitious and wanting to be president. She clearly does. Um, but, you know, she has been sort of needlessly centrist in her career uh, vis-a-vis the constituency that she represents. So so she makes me nervous. She's being she's being a Republican right now, though. Yeah. Like, stop it. Yeah. No, it. it, it I, <laughs> Different people. Again, I I don't want the sexist element to creep in there, right? Like, uh, you cannot be more ambitious than Barack Obama, who was senator for eleven minutes and then was like, "Well, I should be president," and was right. So, I, it, it, let's be clear that that is often unfairly leveled. So, you think Manchin might just be might just be all bark and no bite? He might actually vote to to eliminate the filibuster, or at I, least do a mini nuke I, on I it. I think I think I think if conditions become in, in, intolerable, right? If they become so gridlocked. Because here's the reason that that it, it's at, at issue. 
under the Senate rules, right, which require a two-thirds vote to overturn. So, I mean, there's not a chance that you're changing any of the Senate rules. If, uh, if a proposed bill is split 50-50 in committee, then it cannot be advanced out of committee and put on the calendar. And so... If no, if there's no change to that under a under some kind of Senate resolution, then literally you could stop everything from going on the calendar as as the Republicans and Republicans know that. Right. But they also know that that condition of events is not remotely stable. So, Mm. well, I guess we'll end up uh, seeing what happens in that in that case. Right now, it's just sort of everyone is like, hey, we won the Senate. Take your power. Um, next up, Riley Williams has now been charged with theft of government property and obstruction, which could land her 20 years in prison. So, uh, basically, uh, this, uh, young lady ha- has, uh, actually did steal a laptop. Turns out to be a presentation-only laptop, and she couldn't actually end up selling it to the Russians. But she stole it, and that is theft of government property, and she did some sort of obstruction of justice. So that takes her from, uh, you know, a couple of years in, in prison for trespassing and violent entry to the Capitol up to 20 yeah i'm i'm gonna be the the negatron on this one here um i've i've taken a look at the indictment and and we all have seen the uh, hearing or the transcripts of, you know, the judge releasing uh, Ms. Williams on her own recognizance and and saying, you know, don't make me don't make don't make a liar out of your mother to me. And, you know, just just. Well, she really he well, he released her under her mother's uh, supervision, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, custody. Yeah. And if she, and if she does something wrong, her mother could go to prison. Right. Right. And and. That seemed a little favoritism. Quite. Um, so I've 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 looked at the indictment and um, and the two top line charges here. So, A, this is still on the, the magistrate judge docket, like we discussed on episode one. Um, the two top line charges are 18 U.S.C. 641. That's theft of government property and 18 U.S.C. 1512, which is aiding or abetting others so as to uh, in embezzling so as to obstruct or impede any official proceeding. Um, but the, the, the biggest offense out of that is the theft offense. Um, and that is a, a base six offense level because it's by, it's, it's measured by the value of the thing you're stealing. Right. And so you start piling on additional levels when it's more valuable. I don't want you to think that I think she's going to serve 20 years yeah. in prison. I'm just saying she seriously she seriously kicked up her uh, her time here by uh, by by doing this. Oh, yeah. I, I, I just want to be clear for the listeners. Absolutely. Both of these have a uh, maximum 10 year sentence um, for somebody with no record. Oh, oh, what, what I think I'm saying our, is... I think our list, I think our listeners know <laughs> that like, you know, Manafort got like 10 seconds and Papadopoulos got 12 days and Van yeah. Swan got 30 days. And all of these folks were up for five, 10, 15 years in prison, most of them up for five years in prison. I think they I think I think uh, our, our right. uh, very frustrated uh, listenership knows how this goes. Yeah. You know? And 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 then that's that's where I'm throwing the cold water is that this is very likely to fit within that same category. Uh, a base six offense level uh, is squarely within the zone of probation for a first time offender. So mm. now now, mind you, that's without 
additional charges. The as we have long discussed, right? The long it's episode two, but uh, as you and I discuss, I think every day the DOJ is free to issue a superseding indictment uh, if uh, during the course of the investigation there really is something to the we're going to sell this to Russia or the the comment of like oh make sure you're wearing gloves right like it it the less you know she looks like. Uh, uh, at 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 the arraignment, she was portrayed as, uh, and her lawyer, uh, her lawyer statement was, "Well, this is a an unfortunate young woman who was led astray by the president, um, and lots of these people are going to be, you know, offering up that defense." But the more it looks like, yeah, maybe you plan this out in advance, the 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 less <laughs> likely that is to fly. Yeah, we'll see. Um, well, that is our lightning round today. <laughs> uh, and uh, now, as we uh, say goodbye to you today uh, in this episode, I'd also like to wave goodbye to the following Trump allies that have been fired by the Biden administration, resigned, otherwise unceremoniously leaving uh, government uh, service. And this is our bye-bye segment. First of all, Dr. Deborah Burks, bye bye. Goodbye. Uh, National Labor Relations (laughs) (laughs) National Labor Relations Board General Counsel Peter Robb was told either to resign or be fired. Robb refused to resign, so Biden fired him. See ya. Bye bye. Biden dismissed the director of The Voice of America, Robert Riley, and his deputy, Elizabeth Robbins, and replaced them with experienced journalists with long careers at VOA and other other government-funded networks. I know you want to say something about this. Just, just bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> and Biden has terminated Michael Pack, who was Trump's head of the U.S. Agency for Global Media. That's that uh, umbrella organization over Voice of America. So bye-bye, Michael Pack. And Biden has sacked Kathleen Craninger, who was Trump's director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which is laughable. And uh, Craninger, who had no previous experience in consumer protection, immediately tried to undermine the agency's role as a watchdog for the financial sector. So bye-bye. And finally, adios. Adieu to Trump's Surgeon General Jerome Adams. He has gotten the axe. They usually serve a five-year term, but nope, not this time. Couldn't come too soon. Hopefully the first of many more to come. (laughs) I'm sure there will be many more. Uh, So goodbye to them in memoriam, etc. And everyone, goodbye to you as well. Don't forget to join us live Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Stereo app. It's a lot of fun. We will answer your questions. It's an interactive live app. You can download the Stereo app for free. And uh, it's it's a really good time, and we'll take your questions there. Anything else before we get out of here, Andrew? No, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun, and uh, we we covered more ground than I think I've ever been able to do in an hour before. So you 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 rein me in for a lightning round segment. I'm uh, I'm impressed. Scared. It was terrifying. It was some s- <laughs> slow rolling lightning, but we got yeah, through it. We got you through know, it. As far as I'm concerned, those were immediate thunderclaps thank you so much ag <laughs> love doing the show with you yes thank you to everybody until next week this has been clean up on aisle 45 clean up on aisle 45 is written and produced by allison gill and andrew torres and is engineered and edited by Mackenzie mazell and starburns audio fact checking and research by allison gill and andrew torres with quality assurance and media by muller she wrote llc branding design and logo by starburns audio and joel reader with moxie design studios and our copy is written by jesse egan our music is written and recorded by adam Orr and christopher hoffey and our opening sequence was designed by allison gill and mixed by Mackenzie mazell and starburns audio follow us on twitter at aisle 45 pod and listen wherever you get your podcasts